you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. second week of this series in the book of Romans, and uh, uh, we're kind of working our way uh, from a few chapters in where they started us uh, through this letter. And we said last week we're going to consider it a letter from a pastor to a church instead of a theological textbook that has uh, just transcendent truth sitting right there. We, We have to read the context and understand that to then understand what we're being called to. Uh, We said last week that there are primarily two different groups within the church at Rome. Uh, We have the Gentile Christians who have been there forever. Since the church was founded, uh, the the Gentiles have been allowed to stay in Rome. And then we have this new group of Jewish Christians who are coming back from an exile. Uh, Emperor Claudius had tried to uh, show his power by exiling those who didn't conform to the religious religious patterns of uh, imperial religion. And so he banishes them, Nero lets them come back in. And now we have a clash between two groups. We have the uh, larger in number and uh, more powerful in status Gentile Christians, and we have the smaller in number and uh, more weaker in status Jewish Christians having a fight. Church has never fought about anything anywhere, anytime, have they? Um, never. Uh, they're, they're fighting uh, really over uh, what do you have to do uh, to be one of those who receives God's love? Uh, And I think it's important that we frame it that way because it's not uh, a trivial matter, is it? It's a question of uh, what is the very things that gain you access to God's grace and to his his love? And uh, the Jewish Christians, though weak in number and weak in uh, power, are claiming a strength in their ethnic background. These are the ones who have known Yahweh, who are sons and daughters of Abraham, who have this uh, grand tradition and deposit of faith that has come Uh, through uh, this uh, kind of experience of God's revelation to a particular people. And uh, by this point, we're not sure exactly when Romans is written, but it's somewhere near the fall of Jerusalem, uh, near kind of the end of the temple as central to Jewish life. Uh, And and, uh, so we don't hear them saying, hey, to be a Christian, you have to go sacrifice a goat. Uh, What we hear is primarily two things that they are desiring that the Gentile Christians would do in order to gain access to God's love uh, and to his grace, that they would circumcise their men and that they would eat kosher. And so we have this battle going on, and Paul spends the first few chapters of Romans setting up that they're asking the wrong questions. Uh, It isn't, do you have to eat kosher? Do you have to be circumcised? Instead, it's, what do you have to have to gain access to God's uh, love and grace in this particular way? And they don't have the benefit of the whole New Testament. They don't have the four Gospels laid out for them. They don't have uh, the great Reformation theologies of salvation by faith alone. Instead, uh, they have a group of young Christians trying to sort out life together. And and Paul is trying to gently guide them to this place where they can live in harmony despite their background differences and their preferences and practice of Christianity. And so he's reframing, uh, especially at this point, for the heirs of Abraham— what Abraham's actual significance is. 
they have been saying, uh, we're heirs of Abraham, so we have to live within uh, Israel's law. And then last week we saw that Paul points out Abraham didn't exist under the law. That comes later with Moses. Uh, Abraham exists as one who believed God when God said he would do the impossible. Last week we read how uh, God promises Abraham uh, uh, genetic offspring. It, it won't be an adopted kid. It will be his biological child that will be his heir and will carry on the kind of family dynasty. And it says Abraham believed and God credited it to him as righteousness. Uh, it stopped there last week in our text and it stopped there in our Acts text as well, uh, inviting uh, kind of this, this understanding that Abraham never had to do anything except trust God. He didn't have to do the sacrifices. He wasn't yet circumcised. He hadn't yet promised to uh, uh, take Isaac up for this sacrifice. Instead, he simply believed that God could do the unbelievable. And this is where Paul asks us to consider what it means to have faith in the one who can do the unbelievable. And so this week, we come to this week's Acts. Acts. We're in Romans, not Acts. This week's Roman, I've said that all week when I think about my sermon is Acts, and so now it is very messed up. Uh, we come to this point in Romans, uh, where we read today, but the lectionary skips crucial verses. So last week ends with, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And then the text skips these couple verses. But the scripture that says it was credited to him wasn't written only for Abraham's sake. It was written for our sake because it's going to be credited to us too. It will be credited to those who have faith in the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over because of our mistakes and he was raised to meet the requirements of righteousness for us. That's a pretty significant portion of the Romans text to jump from. Uh, we, we, we skip over that and go right to therefore. Uh, if you ever get to a paragraph that has therefore at the beginning, you ask what it's there for. That's Ben Witherington's joke. It's, it's kind of it's tired, but it's also good. If you get yourself tickled when you say it, it gets more fun. So we have therefore. What's it there for? Let's read the previous material. And it's this invitation to see that this promise to Abraham is the promise to us, that through faith we will have access to the full promises of God. Nothing Abraham could do earned it, and nothing that these new Christians, or not new, but these Christians in Rome could do uh, would earn them God's favor. Therefore, since we have been made righteous through his faithfulness, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This verse might sound different to you. Uh -huh. There is great debate over how to translate the underlying Greek of this particular verse. Uh, you know, we, um, our, our, our English grammar is kind of wonky. Uh, if you haven't, haven't studied foreign language, most foreign languages are easier to learn than English because English, uh, we don't have, uh, well, that's another story for another day. Translating this Greek portion is interesting. About half your translations will say, uh, you have been saved by faith. And then about the other half will say, you have been saved by his faithfulness. That's grammatically significant, right? I'm not the only one who's thinking this is a, a pretty big deal. This is the uh, debate of this generation uh, of scholars in the academy. Uh, what is going on in these verses? For so long, as Protestants especially, we have said, we're saved by our faith, by, by us believing and us having this confidence. And, and there's this new movement that started, uh, that's boring, uh, that's been going on uh, to really wrestle with where are we saved? And it's uh, landed in this place that we really begin to understand these passages as we are saved through his faithfulness first. Uh, which it, it comports 
uh, beautifully with Orthodox Christianity. Uh, Christians have long believed that we are entirely depraved on our own because of the effects of sin, that we can't do anything on our own uh, to pursue good and to, to live in, uh, in unity with God, that we have to trust that God uh, and his grace are going first, and then we can lean into that grace. Therefore, you have been saved by his faithfulness. It's Paul's invitation to the church here uh, in Rome. Uh, you don't have to be kosher. You don't have to be circumcised. Instead, you have to trust in the one who has already been faithful, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then it goes on to spend a few verses talking about uh, this idea that uh, even as we are saved through his faithfulness, things are not perfect. Um, you can get where, uh, once you get this vision of salvation, that uh, you would hope things would be wonderful. Prosperity gospel makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, if we just believe in Jesus, we'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and things will be beautiful and happy, and the church will have no more fights and all these things, but we just know it's not true, and Paul doesn't hide from it here. Uh, though we have been saved by faith, we still have problems, and so we're going to look at what those problems do, and, and these problems we're going we're to see as an opportunity to grow in our good character and then to have hope overspring because of this good character. And I think Paul does now what uh, a lot of his preachers do. He begins to reiterate his point in another way. Uh, while we were still weak, at the right moment, Christ died for ungodly people. It isn't often that someone will die for a righteous person, though maybe someone might dare to die for a good person. But God shows his love for us. Because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You can see where he's building upon this theme of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, right? That uh, we, we were not righteous, we were still, uh, how do you put it, died for the ungodly people. Uh, Paul is not uh, sugarcoating that outside of Christ there is no hope for us to have this righteous relationship, for us to be uh, in right standing with God. Instead he says, while we were yet ungodly, he died for us. Last week we connected to that Genesis 15 story, right? The story of Abraham and his belief that God would do what God said he would do. That text ended last week with, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Uh, the, the story has another part that I hope we're familiar with at this point. It, it's where we move from this promise to a covenant. Uh, it pretty quickly shifts to uh, God appearing to Abraham uh, in some type of vision, um, Right, we don't have the person of Jesus to walk up to Abraham. Instead, God appears in this vision uh, and, and in this kind of evening haze and says, here's what we're going to do. I want you to go find this animal and this animal and this animal and this animal. Bring them here. Slaughter them and make a pathway. Uh, you can imagine this scene, right? Uh, you, you've seen a piece of roadkill on the side of the road, or if you've ever worked on a farm, you know the, the bloody realities of animals, right? And so we're in uh, kind of the desert with a highway of bloody animal carcasses laying side by side. And, and for us, this is really creepy, right? Like we don't we kind of look away from the roadkill sometimes. Uh, some of us uh, loved hunting, but didn't love the part where you had to gut the animal. We, we can be, Marilyn just like shivered at that. We can be squeamish about blood, but this, this picture would have uh, been very resonant with the people of Israel. For this is how you made a covenant together. You uh, laid out the terms, you set up this bloody highway, and then the weaker party would pass through and say, 
if this covenant fails, may I be like these dead animals. In the story in Genesis 15, what we would expect next is for God to say, all right, Abram, walk on through. If you can't keep this covenant, may it be as these dead animals to you. Because Abram is clearly the weaker party, right? We, we can all agree God is more powerful than Abraham. Yes? Uh, I heard a preacher last week who was like, can I get a holy hand clap of praise for that? Yes, God is more powerful than Abraham. Uh, and yet what happens is instead of God saying, hey, Abraham, walk through these dead animals uh, in, in a, a a way that is virtually indescribable and full of poetic imagery, uh, Abram says that it was God appearing as a flaming pot who walked through these as if to say, if this covenant fails, may it be on me as to these animals. What a beautiful picture that uh, the king of the universe, the almighty God, would say, I'll be the one who will bear the weight of this covenant. And we know from the Old Testament story that they don't keep the covenant and they fail time after time again and we finally reach climax in the story of Jesus and it begins to sound kind of resonant when we think about the story here that Jesus himself is like, oh, he's not like, he is the God who walks through these split animals. The covenant has failed, so let me take the weight of this on. I'll walk through these, and I'll bear the weight of it. And, and in fact, we'll, we'll set up a new covenant with this blood. I'm going to walk through it and go to the point of death for you and for you and for you. All because I love you as my Father has loved you. Paul is telling the church in Rome, the same God that met Abraham in that pile of bloody animals, uh, has met us in Christ. And has done all that is required for you to know and to love God. Instead of you having to do any of these things, uh, you simply have to trust. And you can trust because Christ has done this for us. Paul is asking them once again to ask the right questions. Hey, church in Rome, I want to focus on what has Christ done for us rather than these secondary matters of uh, the life of the church. And he's going to get into secondary matters and, and what behaviors uh, are appropriate and what are not, but this is going to be fully reframed in light of these first questions. What is the nature and character of God? What has God done for us? And then how do we have access to God? Uh, for Paul, if you don't ask those questions, none of the rest of them can be answered correctly. And siblings in Christ, if we don't answer those questions, uh, we can't go to the next ones. While we were yet sinners, God proved his love for us. While we were ungodly, Christ died for you and for me. Whatever ethnic background your family lineage comes from, whether uh, you are new to the faith, not part of the faith, or have been part of the faith since uh, your earliest memories, Christ died for you before you ever did a thing. And God's grace goes before you before you ever could have done a thing. And so, friends, instead of uh, trying to live out our faithfulness in ways that earn us anything, may we trust in the one who is faithful. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Holy and loving God, uh, we throw that out so often that you are holy and that you are loving. And yet, uh, if you weren't, nothing else matters.
you've showed us what holiness is and you've showed us what love is. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. We come to this table to meet you and give thanks for all that you have done and the ways in which you are shaping and forming us now into your people, a people who grow in faith, who grow in love, and who grow in holiness.